All right, well, let's get to it. Good morning. I'm Dave Burns, and uh, uh, you probably got to see me on stage this morning doing like, all the intros and all that kind of stuff. Because we've got a small group, what I'd like to do um, is just have you guys just really briefly share. It's typically, uh, I'll see, and part of the reason that we started this whole thing, divorce and remarriage. Sometimes it's dual divorce and remarriages. Sometimes it's death of a spouse and a remarriage. Uh, sometimes it's someone, I, I've had a couple couples this, this uh, summer already where one spouse had never been married before and then married into a family with, with kids and all those sorts of things. So just back there, tell me, tell me a little bit what your situation is. All right, so you've got... All right, and then two bios between the two of you. Okay, how about you? Um, so I'm and did did your are you finally completely di divorce has gone through? Of, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is I'm I'm so thankful you're here, because it's all of a sudden this family enlarges, and all of a sudden uh, grandparents or you know, everything that comes into the mix with it is just amazing. So how about you? So he has he has how many kids? I'm sorry. One daughter, and how old is she? Ten? Nine. Okay, all right. So let me read this statement. Then what I want to do is I want to briefly share my story because uh, it'll be very different than yours. And uh, but there's always similarities in everything that we walk through in blended family, uh, including folks like yourselves, who are on the outside looking in. Um, uh, and I'll talk about this a little bit later about nuclear bonds and how important they are and bio parents and how strong that bond is because God's created it within us and how that can be a struggle. But the author of this book, by the way, there's, there's uh, some of you may not know, but at the end of every March, we have a blended family uh, marriage retreat. And it's for those in step parenting situations. It's for, sometimes I have grandparents that show up to just go, we need some help in how to navigate this whole thing. And or how can we navigate the fact that um, our grandkids are with the other spouse that originally wasn't our bio son or daughter and how does that work because there's all of a sudden this separation because she's remarried and all, all those sorts of things that can be heartbreaks. So, if you asked first marriage family members to name the people in their family, they would all list the same people, mother, father, sons, daughters, brothers, and sisters. But if you asked people in a blending family to identify all their family members, they would have a much harder time. Each blending family member would probably have a totally different take on who ultimately constitutes that family. And there's a lot of truth in that. So um, even kids have a hard time trying to navigate that. My situation is this, and forgive me if some of you have already heard this story. Um, my wife, Terry, uh, fought breast cancer for three and a half years. We have three biological kids. And uh, she went home to be with the Lord August 16th, uh, 2004. So in a couple weeks, it'll be the 15th anniversary of it. I was already, I've led worship up here long before I was on staff since the mid 80s. I'm the guy they accuse of being the lunatic of bringing worship bands to Mount Hermon. And so I have literally led one or two weeks of family camp for worship with a team every summer since 1984. So I reared my kids coming here. 
um, we reared our kids coming here. When Terry passed away, I was already contracted to be up here the following year with, um, many of you know the name, Luis Palau, uh, and Luis and Bill Butterworth. And they both knew my wife really, really well. It was going to be a, a hard week. I'd gone to my kids, said, look at you guys. I'm contracted to do this. I don't do this for the money. I'm not an itinerant pastor. Uh, but, and so I'm making this my last hurrah at Mount Hermon with you kids. Let's invite extended family, meaning my late wife's family, because we were very, very tight. And we will call this the last hurrah until I become a grandpa. And then it'll be a whole new generation that wants to come to, to family camp. And then we'll all start coming again. Little did I know. Um, <clears throat> my daughter, Sarah, who uh, was known as Smalls around here, she was a camp counselor for five summers, came to me um, on Sunday when we got up here and said, Dad, as hard as it is, there's a woman I want you to meet at Mount Hermon. And this is a year after Terry had passed away. And the Tuesday morning of that week was the anniversary date of her home going. So it was a, a tough week for me. All I did was cry all week, pretty much. Um, so I said, honey, I'm, I was shocked that she said, I want, and I said, I, God hasn't stirred my heart that way to, to date. And uh, she looked at me, she grabbed me and said, her name is Leslie Cooper. Dad, I want you to meet her, I want you to date her, and I want you to marry her. Now, this is out of my 22-year-old daughter. As a pastor who's done a lot of grief counseling, I recognize the fact right away, this is extraordinarily unusual, particularly to come out of your daughter. And so I said, what's her story? And um, she says, well, um, I worked for her for five summers. She's the one that runs all of day camp and child care, went back and got her master's, and now she's the guidance counselor and career counselor for the local high school. And they said, well, what's the rest of her story? Um, she says, well, she went through a horrific divorce, and Mount Hermon actually came to her rescue, changed the locks on the doors, and she's been raising all her kids, all her kids, as a single mom for many years. So my next question was, all her kids means how many? And Sarah looked at me and wouldn't say it. She just went. <laughs> and I said, really? And uh, how old is her youngest, since your youngest brother is going to be 19 and starting this sophomore year at Azusa? And she says, 11. And I said, is dad in the picture? And she says, nope, not really. So the logical conclusion, Sarah, is you want me to marry a woman I've never met and raise a family again? And she says, no, dad, God does. She says, he's just really put it on my heart to tell you that. And I thought, oh, crap. Is this recorded? <laughs> so what I didn't know is my youngest son, Josh, knew Leslie really well. And her kids knew my kids. My kids knew her kids. And we started a long distance date. I was pastoring down in uh, San Juan Capistrano, lived in San Clemente. And so we dated for a year, then I uprooted my life and I moved to Mount Hermon and then the leadership came here and just said, look, at, would you take over as the director of adult ministry? And because um, I wasn't about to uproot her family and move them to Southern California, so I moved up here. So all that to say is mine was the death of a spouse in a healthy relationship, moving into a new relationship with all these kids. So. I was clueless, and I had to learn to navigate what being a stepfather was. What God gave me was a chance to love a woman that 
like she had never been loved before by her husband. And a chance to be a father to her kids, even though I was a step-parent and not a biological father, but to be an impactful person in their lives and love them like I love my own kids. I had an advantage that many people don't have. Um, her kids looked at me as an intrusion, but they also looked at me with, with a respect and a trust because they knew my kids and they knew my relationship with my children. And one of mine, and my youngest son came to actually a gap year, came to live with us for a whole year besides. So in some ways, it was easier for me to navigate that than it has been for, for some of you. So, so that's my backstory. Um, each has its different challenges, and, and that includes um, unhealthy comparisons. It's really easy for us to sit in a room and go, here were the good things about my ex-wife or my late wife. Here's the marriage I'm in now. Uh, I had to, uh, the Lord kind of smacked me up the side of the head and said, look, you had a great marriage here. You're marrying a great woman here who has a different set of spiritual gifts, who has a different set of talents that's uniquely crafted by the hand of God. Don't make comparisons between her and your late wife. And it's really easy to do that, um, even in divorce situations. Um, it's easy to make comparisons with, with your new spouse and go, oh, this is so much better than it was. But particularly if you're making comparisons between um, good and good and how God has equipped you. So just be aware of that. By the way, there's so much information out. This is an overview, and I'm going to start asking you questions. And this will be an interactive hour, because it's all we have together. But I want to highlight some of the areas that research have really pointed to, things that I've learned, but also um, books, that, books that I've read. Um, and some of the teachers that have come to teach here. The, the funny thing I was reading, I'm reading to you out of Loving Your Step Family by the Partridge family. Don Partridge and Jennifer Partridge. The other book I quote from a lot are some dear friends of mine that wrote a book called Beyond the Brady Bunch. You know, so, there, so there you go. Um, uh, The key thing is that I've learned from my wife, Leslie, because we actually broke up for a very short window of time because I was struggling. Can I walk into this new life and, and be a good stepfather uh, of things that were unknown for me? And she finally came to me and said, look, Dave, we're obviously in love with each other, but you're either all in or I'm not in. And that kind of shook me like, OK. And when, when I became all in, it made me, uh, because their, their biological father was around very, very rarely, and the three older kids had nothing to do with him at that time, um, I had to be all in. Um, so, and, and honestly, there were times that I would wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, and say, thank you, Lord, but what the heck was I thinking? you know, when I did this, because the life changes so radically. So, um, my late wife's dad had a plaque on, in their kitchen. And the first time I saw it, I never forgot it. 
because my dad had always modeled it for us. And it says, the greatest gift the father can give his children is to love their mother. And that became uh, one of my mantras when I got first married. And, and, and part of the reason I say that is that you guys that are in uh, a blended family, no matter what the circumstances are, if, if, if it was an abusive ex-husband or just non-abusive ex-husband, but you just things led to a, an ultimate divorce and you've remarried, you as a couple still have to model what a healthy marriage is for your children because they're going to look to you whether you realize it or not. And you're, you're kind of setting the pattern for what can be in the future. So that also means unwinding some of the stuff that they have seen from a previous unhealthy marriage because we're called to model what hopefully what their future is going to look like in a healthy relationship. So that was part of my deal with, with my stepkids. Is, and, and one of the things that's very important that I learned is I learned to practice and counseled my wife as well to, count, to practice amnesia. And what that means is if how many of you have had really unhealthy relationships and may still have unhealthy relationships with your ex-spouse? Any of you? You. And I know him fairly well. It's the type of thing as you even model for the boys now to practice amnesia. Uh, it's easy to talk about an ex-spouse in a bad way and have the freedom to unwind in front of your kids doing that. It's totally unhealthy. It's not what God's calling you to. Um, you don't want to set a pattern in your children's mind. Um, with my own stepkids, they recognized that their dad really had a narcissistic personality. And it was easy for Leslie, because she had been so abused in the relationship, to talk bad about him. And I had to come alongside, you've got to stop this. It's the children's biological father. Even if they're not with him now, ultimately, he's going to be a biological grandfather to the kids. Whether they allow him into that or not, we don't know at this point. Now we do. But, pardon? Yes. Yeah. And, and my, th my three oldest stepkids didn't want anything to do with their, with their stepdad. And actually, my, my stepdaughter, Sarah, who's my daughter, uh, was the same type of thing. But she still has nothing to do with her dad. It's just maybe a courtesy phone call once a year, and she doesn't care to. But in God's economy, the Lord is still the God of reconciliation, of resurrection, uh, of relationships. And so I've had to come alongside my kids, even in the young when they would badmouth their dad. I go, look, I know it's uncomfortable. I know he hasn't come through for you in certain ways like he's promised to do. But can you love him in spite of that, knowing that he loves you? And as you have even told me, you think there's some disconnects mentally for him. So therefore, sometimes it's hard to hold a person accountable for those types of things. Can you love him in spite of those things? And some years ago, my, my oldest stepdaughter, Lindsay, who I officiated her wedding two years ago, April, and now she's got her first kid that's uh, just turning four months old. She came and just fell in my arms crying one day. And she just said, why can't my dad be like you? 
And at that moment, I realized she so craves to have that relationship with her biological parent, just not the way it's been. So there's still that inert thing that God has given us for a biological unit, that nuclear bond that we were originally born into. And at the time, she was um, 19. And, and she said, I said, well, what's spurring this? She said, well, and her dad had recently remarried, and we love his new spouse, and just pray that he doesn't screw it up, because she's a, really a great lady. And her, her dad had invited her, because she was living up in Seattle at the same time, he was coming into town and said, can we take you out to dinner? And she was just like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure I'm ready to deal with this. And I had to come alongside. Look, you've demonstrated me today that you wish your dad could be like this relationship here. God is in the business of, of restoration. Give him a chance. You have a buffer. He has a new wife that, you, that you, you know, we all enjoy. And the other, the other thing is, and, this, and I don't know if this is for any of you guys or not, but when you have a younger kid that's been in watched parents' parental unit fall apart, um, in their case, because the kids were just verbally abused and uh, physically abused, and not sexually, but just you know, pushed around, I looked at Lindsay and I said, look it, you were 11 years old back then. That's totally changed now. You're, in a, you're a young adult, you're 19, you call the shots, you set the boundaries with your, with your parent because you are now an adult. So feel the freedom to go for dinner and just feel it out. And if for any reason, if anything's out of line, you just say, Dad, that's out of line. I'm uncomfortable with that. Don't do that again. And what, what has led now is to a reconciliation with her, with her biological father. Do they go out of their way all the time to see him? No, but they were just, they were just here for the weekend to visit because you know, she's married and has a kid. And her biological dad and stepmom were getting to see the kid for the very first time. That's a step in God's economy of, of restoration, of reconciliation, of resurrection. Make sense? You guys can jump in at any time, because I'm going to fly through this, because I really do want this to end up being interactive. Um, Does he respect your Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, Peter, who's my oldest stepson, when, when I first got in this relationship with Leslie, I was really open. I said, look, I've never done this before. What's going to be my biggest challenge? She said, my oldest son, Peter, he has a a real dislike for his father because he was pushed around visibly in front of other students at school when he was younger and all these types of things. He says he just doesn't like his dad. And when Peter went away to his first year of college at Cal Poly, um, Leslie and I drove him down, got him all situated, and then took him and his, um, uh, his roommate out to lunch. And when we were getting ready to leave, I'll never forget this as long as I live, Pete came to me. And, and said, said these words, can I see you for a minute? And Leslie was on the other side of the van. I said, well, of course. And he said, you've shown me what it is to have a real father. Um, may I stop calling you Dave and call you dad? And Leslie's on the other side of the van, just, you know, just weeping. And I said, well, of course, absolutely. 
But what I have watched happen is Peter's so wise, and he recognized the fact that his, you know, his dad's done some stuff that's really been wrong. But can I be a person of forgiveness? Forgiveness is setting a captive free from bondage and then recognizing that, that you're the captive because his father may not even care to be forgiven, gave him or not. Uh, but Peter finally came to grips with that and realized, I'm going to reach out. I'm an adult. And so he did. So they have now, Peter and Libby, his wife, have, have rebuilt that relationship with their dad that he had lost so many years before. So there's some health in those types of situations. So you give me this email. Brian Loritz was here. In fact, I would just encourage you. Brian Loritz was here last week. Brian is Albert Tate's mentor. Um, he spoke on Psalm 127. And I had to close out the session, and I closed it out through tears. It was the most powerful exposition of Psalm 127 on parenting I've ever heard in my life. And I've heard it a million times. Um, if you go to mounthermanorg backslash media, it'll be posted probably by Wednesday or Thursday of this week. Listen to it. Uh, it's just huge of the impact that we have in our kids' lives and some of the uncomfortable impact we can have in our kids' lives, too particularly when you get into a blended family, because there's big stress points. Um, making your blended family work obviously is hard, and it's frustrating. It, it can bring a lot of grief, and it can bring a lot of great joy. So, there are many issues to work through. Compromise is one of the key. Um, and You know what, let me go back for a second. Let me get, jump to that. The one thing that God has given me, and I pray for all of you, is a gift to love my stepkids unconditionally like I love my own. And I'm not called to it, really. I mean, Leslie would just say, they're my biologicals. You know, I, I, I want you to. And stepping into a relationship like that, sometimes you step into a, a blended family relationship, and you may not even like the personality of your, of your new spouse's kids. So therefore, then you have to kind of work through that and navigate through that. And that uncomfortability, I have come to love my stepkids. And I would step out in front of a truck for them any time. And that's, that's a gift from God. The other thing is, is a step-parent can be a threat where a child feels as though they're betraying their biological parent. I don't know if any of you have, have had that. You're, you're nodding yes. Any type of circumstance or... And that goes back to one of my earlier statements. You guys are modeling what a healthy relationship should be for, because someday she's going to walk into that. And, and unless you're modeling it for her, she's had no precursor knowledge-wise, because you know, she was only one year old. So that's so important, so vitally important. And so it sounds like you have a, a good relationship with her. Yeah, I mean, it's probably Yeah, for me, uh, my initial concern that just vanished, you know, it was primarily with my middle son who hadn't ever met Leslie, and uh, was the idea of, and his wife really struggled with it, of how can Dave uh, enter into a dating relationship after these 25 years with Terry, 
And this is my daughter-in-law that was struggling with it. And because in some ways they felt it's a betrayal of, of mom. And yet my wife was so hilarious. She actually went to the kids she, two weeks before she passed away. And she said, do not interfere with dad remarrying. I want him to remarry. But here's a list of names that I don't want him to date. <laughs> so she had a legal, legal sheet of paper with about eight names. He's not allowed to date these women. <laughs> um, and then my daughter-in-law, um, two years later, lost her mom to the same thing, and then watched her dad fall in love again and remarry. So it, it, it really made some sense. And now my daughter-in-law is so close to Leslie. They're just inseparable. So, but but there's, there's just those things that are challenges. Um, so uh, one, one of the things I am so cautious about is that nuclear bond, is that bio bond of, uh, of being their dad or mom is still their dad or mom. That's all there is to it. You know, it's interesting when you look at statistically, particularly now with all the DNA testing, with, with the advent of the internet being able to find, uh, adopt, uh, you're, you've been adopted into a family. It's amazing when you look at the statistics of how many people are researching as they get into their teens, into their 20s, my mom, my, my birth mom, you know, that type of thing. Because there's still that yearning, that internal craving about that biological connection. So, um, uh, and the other thing is, is my, uh, the closest of my, well, I won't say the closest, but we hang out a whole lot together. My stepdaughter, Sarah, um, if she were here, because she's actually asked to come and be able to talk with folks as well, and I said, any time. If she were here, she would say, I didn't like, my, I didn't like Dave when he first came into the house. Because all I knew is we had been with mom for X amount of years, just like your daughter, your stepdaughter had been with dad for X amount of years. And all of a sudden, this new face comes into the relationship. And guess what? Dave, you're taking time away from me and mom. And so that created an initial barrier for us until we had to break down that wall. And so, um, so I mean, I would even take her out for meals separate, and we just, you know, that kind of a date night with my stepdaughter to really get to know and those kinds of things, issues. Um, the, the other thing, and I don't, and I'd love to hear from you guys on this, this type of thing. Um, what you have done or if anything's ever come up where you've had to do something or recognize something has really happened, uh, sometimes borderline cat catastrophic with a stepkid, and then you, re then you show them how much you care for them and love, love them. When, when my youngest stepson, he's 25 now, but when he was 16, um, had his driver's license and we allowed him to start driving to school. My wife works at the local high school. And I had a, a really nice uh, silver Honda Accord with only about 65 or 70,000 miles on it. You don't get ahead of me. And uh, <clears throat> so Johnny was driving it to school. I get a panic call from my wife. Get over here right now. He's been in a major accident right in front of the school. So Johnny, um, they say common sense is just not all that common. 
and Johnny made an illegal left turn into the parking lot and got broadsided by a, a big pickup truck with dual wheelies. All the airbags went off and literally destroyed the car, and he walked away from it unscathed. But it's a quarter to eight in the morning, and all the kids have run out front. So half the school population is there watching this trans, this all transpire, and the CHP showing up and everything else. And Johnny looks at me like, oh, crap, here comes my stepdad. It's his car. And I, I can sense he's scared to death, as well as being in shock. So I walked up to him. I said, are you OK? He says, yeah, I feel OK. And I said, come here. And I gave him a big hug. And I said, the car can be replaced. You can't. I love you. And he just you know, fell on my arms weeping. And I think it was really at that point of time that he realized my stepdad loves me unconditionally. And he's there for me and will do anything for me. Those are the kinds of things that I think we're called to do with our stepkids. Um, as, as a step-parent, even if they have a great relationship with their other, you know, other mom or dad as well. Here's what I would, here's what I would ask. Does he love your mom? That's the type of thing. Do either of you have a, a, a trust relationship with him over these years? How long has he been married to your mom? And did she have a healthy relationship with your dad, or it was a divorce? No, no, our dad passed away. That's what I'm asking. All right. Sometimes, sometimes it's coming alongside your stepdad and just saying, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can we just sit down and talk? And, 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 and then you say, I, this is not judgment. Don't take it as that. This is just an observation of, of the interaction we see with you and mom. Would you consider these things? And part of it is, part of it is, oftentimes guys are blinded. Things just go right above their head. They don't even realize comments that they say. You know, there's a, um, you've all heard of Egyptian hieroglyphics, right? Many of you probably don't realize that there's Hebrew hieroglyphics that are called mosaic hieroglyphics. I'm a Jewish believer, so this is stuff that I just love to study throughout my life. And when God created woman, um, he, uh, there's a, a word picture for woman that's been engraved on rocks and stone and all that sort of thing. And it's really odd, because he created woman to be the help meet or the helpmate for, uh, for, for Adam. And... Um, how much did Adam really need help? You know, God gave him complete authority over naming all the animals and this, that, and the other. So the helpmate picture on a wall is that of an eye and, and an ax. And I thought, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. So when you do the research and you find out about it, and this is inherent in a lot of Jewish tradition of understanding it, but it's even more applicable now for those who um, are of the faith and, and understand the work of the Holy Spirit. And the eye is because you have, you have the ability to see through the window to his soul and oftentimes see things that he may not even see. And the ax is, is, a, is, is a weapon, but it's also a hedge of protection. 
And what the axe is there for is, my wife, my late wife did this all the time when I was in full-time ministry because I was always on the platform. It's, it's a weapon of warfare and a weapon of protection. Uh, Terry would come to me and said, honey, here's what I'm saying. It's that list of eight women that don't date. You know, uh, honey, there's something that I just, I want to give you a clue. And I go, really? You see that? And ultimately, it would always come to, come to fruition. And some of us, you know, would call that women's intuition. God says, no, listen carefully to your wife as she speaks or to your stepdaughter as she speaks because it could be the Holy Spirit speaking through her and I've given her that information to give to you as, as a help, a help meet, help meet me where I'm supposed to be in light of what God's, God's called me to. And we so overlook that because when you look at the scriptures in Ephesians 5, so oftentimes the whole issue of submission gets so beat up out of proportion because they miss the first verse, submit to one another in love. Um, and that's what that is, is when your wife speaks to you, listen carefully because it can be the Holy Spirit. And so that's where this, I had to, and even with a, even with a, um, even with a, a parent, like my youngest stepson um, was recognized as an all-star athlete, uh, one of the best the county has ever seen for football here while he was going through high school. He just broke all the records. And um, I had to actually email his father and just said, Mike, I am your son's stepdad, but you are his biological father. And when I look at him looking into the stands and realizing you're never there, he knows that I'm there, but he's still craving you to be there. Um, you're missing out on your boy's childhood, which means ultimately if you don't do something about it, you're gonna miss out on his adulthood, his marriage, grandkids, everything else. And I said, I don't, I don't expect you to respond to this because I, obviously, for some reason, you dislike the fact that I happen to fall in love with your, with your ex-wife and marry her. But this is the issue. So I'm just calling, I'm just calling you to some accountability as his biological father. Be there for him. That following Friday, a week later, he showed up at his game. And I looked at my, at my stepson, and his eyes just lit up like, oh my gosh, my dad came to see me play. And it's those things that can just click something for someone that can be a turnaround point for them. That's why I say it, it might be beneficial. I'd pray about it first and see if he'd be open to that type of thing. So some of the questions I would have is, um, does he recognize that it's your dad that keep, keeping him away from his father? I mean, has he asked to see him? Has there ever been a restraining order against him or anything like that? Is there, is, in other words, is it warranted because of fear of abuse? It, in that situation, um, it, it, may, it may be until your nephew is in his teens years where he can actually make the decision and, and the courts would allow him to go see him, whatever, whatever it would be, that he might want to reach out. Um, I had an incident with a family that I know really well, and they came to this two weeks ago. And I know the backdrop of their family. And um, uh, his son had been estranged from him for a number of years, living up in Oregon with his ex-wife. 
And his son showed up here uh, after doing something, because his ex-wife kept bad-mouthing his dad, saying, you don't, you you know, you're abusive, everything else. Well, he, he came to an age as a sophomore in high school where he could think for himself, and he got online and started investigating the family and realized that his dad is actually a hero in the, in the greater SLV area who has not only befriend, befriended and discipled um, uh, kids, but they're known for just giving their lives to kids because they're foster parents. And he said, there's something wrong here and I need to investigate who my dad really is, not just who my mom says that she is. And um, he, he's fallen in love with his father. And I, I just see it on Nate's face, and I just go, oh my gosh, this is just incredible after all these years. And so I'm not saying this is the case, but that can happen, but, but it may not happen until those 10 years. Yeah. So that, that's the key right there. And part of the protection mechanism for your nephew that counselors would tell you is here's what we see periodically and all too many times is that whether one spouse or the other, mom or dad, if they, they do an entry point into their life and you get a kid all excited about it and then, then they just take off and a year or two goes by, it's just crushing to them. And so that could be part of a protection mechanism as well. Well, uh, this is an issue that comes up in every stink and blend of family I've ever met, and it certainly came up in ours, um, is that there's so many issues to work through, and compromise really becomes the key to success in blended marriages. Um, I mean, I walked into a marriage where Leslie's idea of discipline was extraordinarily different. Not that it was bad. It was just totally different than what I had done with, with my kids and, and my late wife. I mean, so much so that I had to be really cautious because I'm the step-parent walking into this relationship. Um, they, they have some sort of a trust relationship with me and respect because they know my kids. But at the same time, I'm not their disciplinarian uh, because I haven't built that and established that relationship with them over a period of time where they're allowing me to really speak into their lives. And um, as a pastor, my late wife and I just, our, our house was... Uh, kind of an open door for humanity. And the same thing with Leslie. Uh, I never know who's going to end up sleeping at our house from one week to the next just because that's who we are. We have a large home here. And but because of that, I always like our living room and our kitchen area where we entertain or greet people to be clean. Well, my youngest stepson, Johnny, is, is a major slob. So is my biological daughter, Sarah. But we, we had Sarah upstairs saying, do anything you want in your room. I don't care. But the rest of the house, honey, you clean up after yourself. And so she was great at that. Well, Johnny, I taught how to cook. And he loved to cook. But he would just totally make a disaster out of the kitchen. And then he would leave it for either me or Leslie to clean up, which usually fell in my hands. So all that to say is it drove me stinking nuts. And I couldn't get past it from the standpoint of how do I come alongside him to show him that potentially your future wife's going to hate this, you know, that's, that sort of thing. And so I went to Leslie and I said, help me out here. This is going to be a discipline thing that 
you've never tried before, nor have I, but just be on the same page with me. She said, what are you going to do? And I said, let me show you. I gathered everything in the kitchen, every dirty glass, every dirty pot, everything, and I laid them all on his bed, <laughs> in his bedroom, everything. And he came home and just went through the roof. What are you doing? I said, oh, I was just cleaning up the kitchen. And, and I said, Johnny, sit down. And I said, I don't, I don't think that you do this purposely to say, I'm just not going to listen to you. I just think it's, you know, you're just not used to picking up after yourself. But what I'm telling you is it's really important for me to, to have you pick up because your friends, your friends' parents, everything else, are all coming through our house. And I like it to look neat so that it's just not a, a pig pen in here. So therefore, from now on, anytime you leave messes, messes, I'm not going to take the time to clean them up. I'm just going to transfer them into your room. And then when you get the time, you can clean it up. We've got lots of pots and pans here, so it's not a problem. <laughs> it worked. And he's the neatest of all our kids now. <laughs> and, and it was just one of those things, <laughs> just this you know, fluke idea. Uh, one of those dumb ideas that, that Albert was talking about this morning that worked. But compromise becomes the big issue. How do we discipline? Because um, uh, there's just differences in those styles, differences in clean, cleanliness. And have, have you guys wrestled with this at all? Have you had to deal with it? I've seen nod, nod of the head. But um, yeah, we haven't gone through it. It's one of the big issues uh, because even in, the, even in that first relationship, that marriage, when it separates, there can be a huge difference in philosophy of discipline. And what they're free to do at dad's house, mom may say, no, that's, that's not how it's done. And it can create a tension where the kid likes going to dad's house because he's getting away with, with other things that mom normally wouldn't let him get a hold of. And that's where it becomes a compromise issue. And I, I was just reading another study on this. And it said, look, it, try this. You can just say, look, when you go to your dad's house, if he gives you the freedom to do that, you don't badmouth him. Just say, dad's doing it the wrong way or anything like that. Dad may give you the freedom to do something that I, I don't. I'm really purposeful in why I don't. And we don't need to go into that now. So when you come home, just recognize what your boundaries are in our home living here. And you have to uphold into those boundaries. Otherwise, there will be consequences. And, and what the studies show is, is that works a whole lot more than just screaming and yelling. And you set the boundaries for your home, understanding that it, it may be different from your ex-spouses. Does that help at all? It's difficult because you're placing an expectation on the kid to perform up to the standards of your set of discipline or style, and, but you're placing that mandate to you and your husband, even without placing that mandate on you. And it's, and, but they're placing it on the kid it's, itself. It's, it's not, you can come alongside the child and say, here's the reasons that we'd like you to do this, but to discipline them for not. Um, what we would counsel, if it's at all possible, if you have any kind of an amiable relationship with the exes, to, at, through either email or sitting down over a cup of coffee or a phone call just to say, hey, we both love our kids. Here's some issues. Can we at least talk through these? And, 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 and try and create some sense of a compromise there. Because it's the kids' lives that are at stake.
the challenge not to fire back. Yes, not fire back. Either verbally or through an email or something like that. Yeah. Uh, here's the one thing that even when I emailed Mike about the whole issue with going to your son's games and things like that, um, I try to live my life by Ephesians 4.29. I wrote it down. Do not let any, un any, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And I just look at that encompassing our whole family units. What can we do to work through something instead of belittling the other party? I mean, sometimes it happens. Um, I mean, I remember once when Mike jumped all over my wife, Leslie, about something that wasn't warranted. And he had already been notified of it. Because as a pastor, I virtually have every email that's ever been sent to me. And I, I do it purposely. And so I fired back at Mike and just say, don't ever speak to my wife again like that. And, um, and he didn't apologize. He just you know, he, he realized I was, I set a boundary. So. Um, so all you can do is try to, to just be cautious in those things and just not let your emotions to get in the way of your speaking in, a, in, a, in an instance like that, honestly, so that it's just you're trying to go through it.